Okay, I want to recognize the champions of the three-on-three -three tournament that was happening tonight. So we had a, if you if you're, weren't aware, we had a three-on-three -three tournament happening in the gym, and it was actually an intergenerational tournament. So every team of three had to have a man younger than 30 years old, a man between 30 and 50, and every team had to have a man over 50. So the guys limping around are the guys younger than 30. It's not the old guys. Uh, how many of you were older than 50 and playing in the tournament? Okay, Joe. All right. Awesome. I see Will back there, 73 years young, going strong. I'm not going to be offended that nobody invited me on their team. Is it because I'm built like a wrestler? Short, bow-legged. But uh, we've, got a, we've got a prize for the winner. So we, this is the winning team. So come on up here. Rex Tonkins, Aaron Comer, and Daniel Dew. Come on up here quickly. Let's give it up for these guys. You're still moving pretty well, Rex. Come on up here, guys. So here you go. Look, they've got the height thing going on. Now I see why nobody invited me to play. But I've got a mean jump shot that nobody got to see tonight, I'm telling you. Hey, one more time, give it up for these guys, the champs! Look, they're hanging around. They're waiting for the, like, the national anthem to be played in a medal ceremony. That's, that's not here, guys. So, good job. Congrats. Okay. Hey, we have the privilege of uh, having a, a great man with us tonight, uh, Brandon Slay, Olympic gold medalist in 2000 at the Sydney Games. Uh, he's been an Olympic coach for several years. In fact, he just got off an airplane from Rio a couple days ago. But more importantly than uh, his accolades and accomplishments, this man is a, a powerful and passionate Christ follower. And even Wikipedia says that about you, so you got to believe anything Wikipedia says. Huh? But this guy is a devoted family man, great husband. And so, men, help me welcome another man built like a wrestler, Brandon Slay. Come on. I got to say right now, man, we should have formed a three-on-three -three team, you and me. As long as we didn't have to dribble, we'd have been all right. <laughs> How was your jump shot? <clears throat> uh, smooth. Because if we got somebody who was 5'5", five five, you would be the tallest man on the team. That's all right. It's not okay. all about height. Yeah. We, we, we're pretty good at fouling, I bet. It's all about how much you bench. That's the most important <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you just got back from Rio two days ago. Yesterday. Yesterday. Yesterday at 2 o'clock. So tell us about that. We're used to... You know, what you see on TV, we're used to watching uh, Costas and everything from that angle. But what's it like to actually be there? Well, in my opinion, I really think they, they did a disservice to Rio, the media, because I think so many things we heard about Rio was that the venues weren't going to be finished. You know, it was going to be extremely dangerous. Um, transportation was going to be horrible. You were going to get, if you walk down the street by yourself, you're going to get robbed. You know, I think there was just a lot of negativity that was shared. And I would just say from, from our perspective as the wrestling team, I'd say really the only negative uh, that we dealt with was really just transportation because there were so many people there. 
And so to keep people safe, they would split off. Everybody had credentials, all the Olympic vehicles down certain roads, and everybody else would have to go down the other road. So, you know, it was, it was tough to get around to go cheer on, you know, our track athletes or the swimmers and some of the other sports to get around to watch our other Americans compete. But it's the Olympics. I mean, there's, there's just a, a plethora of people, right, that descend upon Rio. So you can't expect the transportation just to be, you know, stellar. Well, other people might get robbed, but not you, man. They'll see your guns. They're like, dude, don't <laughs> no, rob don't. him. So uh, tell us about your story. Just give the men some context. Maybe the 30,000-foot view of Brandon Slay. Who are you as a man, your story, your upbringing? Then we'll zoom in on different things. Throughout so I was, I was born and raised in Amarillo, Texas, and uh, <laughs> grew up. I, I grew up, my mom and dad got divorced when I was three, lived with my my dad and my grandmother from about five to 13 years old. My grandmother's a Baptist Sunday school teacher. So I grew up going to church, you know, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Um, she worked extra, an extra job so I could go to Christian school. So I was definitely raised in Christian school every day, this, this spiritual environment. Um, but I, I don't really feel like I really understand, understood who the Savior was. And then I think what started happening to me is that when I started getting involved in sports, you know, played every sport growing up, and, and football and wrestling as I started getting older really kind of became really, I would say, my God. You know, those are sports I started to worship because I just saw the better I did at those things, the more praise I got. And I started connecting that into really kind of worshiping really myself. And so even though I was going to church, you know, growing up and, and, and going to Christian school and all that environment, I really, I really feel like I did it, though, just to make other people happy. I did it to make my grandmother happy. And actually, I feel like I did it. I used to pray just thinking if I went to church and prayed, that was going to be a better chance to win wrestling matches, right? That was going to be a better chance to get multiple sacks, you know, on Saturday. And it wasn't because I truly loved the Savior. You know, it wasn't because I realized what a ragamuffin, scallywag, selfish individual I was and what he did for me on the cross. It was more of a Kind of that cliche, kind of like a, a Lucky's rabbit, rabbit's foot that you know, I could rub and hopefully good things would happen to me. And so, you know, that was kind of how I grew up. And, and I went to college at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And so I moved from Amarillo, Texas to West Philly, which was to, just a little different, actually. Um, so when I got to the University of Pennsylvania, being in the Northeast, it, it was for sure was just a different environment. You know, the Ivy League school, I spent a lot of time with people that outright told me they were atheists that wanted nothing to do with spirituality. And, and I think, I, you know, I really started listening to them a lot in college. And I thought, well, I don't want to just want to believe what my grandma, what Mima said, that, that, you know, I'm an Ivy League school. I'm smart enough. I'm going to kind of figure this out on my own. And I spent about four or five years, in many ways, kind of turning away from my faith. And then it was what God used is I moved out here after college. I moved to the Olympic Training Center in 1998, and, and thank God he put me on the west side where every morning when I'd pull the blinds, you know, I saw Pikes Peak, and, and he started using creation, really. He started using God's beauty to really start moving in my heart because I truly did believe that God created that. I truly did believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And so, like, logically what started happening is I started thinking, well, if I really believe he created the heavens and the earth, like, if I really believe in Genesis 1-1, that he could do anything. And so that's why I always tell people sometimes is they'll say, well, what's, what do you think is one of the most important verses in the Bible? And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's your opinion. But I would say, I always say Genesis 1-1 for me is one of the most important because I've found that so many people I talk to, they'll say, so you really think God parted the Red Sea? 
You, you really think that he healed somebody that was blind? You really think somebody had a disease and he healed him? You really think that somebody was able to turn water into wine? You really think he could, he could you know, Jesus was born of a virgin and then he became the savior of the world? And I would say, okay, so do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth and the whole entire universe? And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, okay, so let's walk this back with me a little bit. So he believed you, he created the whole earth and universe, but you're struggling with the parted one C. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, yeah, I've never thought about it like that, right? <clears throat> so I think that, you know, that, you know, I think that verse and then the creation, God really started, I would just say he moved in my heart. And then I think what God does so many times is he uses our weaknesses to draw us closer to him. And so um, I wasn't planning on sharing this tonight, but I'll, I'll share it with you. I just feel led that, you know, at the Olympic Training Center, um, the women's volleyball team trained at the Olympic Training Center. Okay. So there was a girl I had this huge crush on. And one morning I was sitting there on a Sunday morning and I was getting ready. Just to, it was our day off and I was going to spend all day watching football. I had it all planned out. You know, I wasn't going to church or anything. And this girl that I had this huge crush on, she comes up to me and she says, hey, Brandon, hey, we're about to go to church. Would you like to go? And I was, I was sitting there ready to watch, you know, NFL game day. And I'm just like, I was like, I would love to go. That would be awesome, right? And she's like, well, you probably, you don't have to get dressed up, but wearing those camo cargo shorts probably is not the best thing. Maybe you should go change those. I'm like, no problem. So, like, I ran to my room. I put on my slacks. I put on a button-down shirt. And this is how goofy this is, I think, back on it. I grabbed a Bible, which I hadn't read in eight years, right? This, again, I took a, I had a, a necklace, a gold necklace was a cross around it, which I hadn't been wearing. I put it on. <laughs> and I show up, like, almost ready for Bible drills in the front of the Olympic Training Center, waiting for this girl to pick me up. And she... She swings by, I get in the car, and she's like, oh, you know, wow, you know, you, so you're a Christian? I was like, oh, yeah. My grandma's a Baptist Sunday school teacher, went to Christian school, kindergarten through sixth grade, and I started rattling off my, you know, a spiritual, like, you know, just bragamony of all these spiritual things, whatever that done. And she, she takes us to this church, and it was actually the old Rocky Mountain Calvary Chapel that was in a bowling alley, the Holiday Bowl over there, I think it was called on Austin Bluffs and Academy. And so we pull up and I was like, well, where's the church? And she's like, well, Brandon, it's right here. And I'm like, this, that's not a church, Baptist Amarillo, right? Red brick, white steeple has to look like that. And so I'm like, this is the church? And she's like, yeah. So I go walking in and one of the first things I see, I see a guy that has like a Denver Broncos jersey on. I'm like, you don't wear Broncos jerseys. To, you don't wear jerseys at church. So again, this is my mixed confusion of who Jesus really is and what Christianity really is. I see a guy with dreadlocks. I start seeing all this different diversity among the people, all these just how God, there's all these different types of people. And I get in, then all of a sudden they're, they're playing electric guitar and drums. This guy's like playing a harmonica and they're rocking out. And again, I'm thinking, this isn't church. And I looked at her, I said, this is not a church. I'll never forget. And she goes, I'll never forget what she said. She goes, Brandon, she goes, church isn't a building. It's a group of people. And I go, oh, right? So again, I'm still there for the wrong reasons. But then I started listening to this pastor. He was just teaching exegetically, and he just starts teaching the word. And I was just listening to every word he said. And then the next Sunday, um, 
I went to church and actually she was out of town and had nothing to do with her. I went back to church the next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. And um, I don't remember the exact day, but one particular Sunday I went in and he was teaching out of Matthew and he got to Matthew 10, 34. And he just ended up saying, Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give it up to me, you're going to find it. And I remember at that moment, I just thought, this is all I've been doing. My whole entire life is clinging on to my life, being addicted to me. It's all about me. It's all about how many wrestling matches you win, how many sacks you get on Sunday, how cool you are, going to an Ivy League school, you know, trying to be Olympic champion. I was really addicted to myself, and I was clinging on to my own life. And the more that I did that, actually, the more depressed and less fulfilled I really was. And so he did say that Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. And I was like, I feel that way. But thankfully, there was a comma and a but comma, but. He said, Jesus said, if you give it up to me, you'll find it. And that particular day, I remember, um, I just, I looked up, and it wasn't like a, a dove landed on my head, or I heard Jesus' voice audibly, or anything like that. It was just more of, I just said, Jesus, I just, I don't want to cling to my life anymore, and I want to give it all up to you, and I want to quit worshiping myself, and I want to surrender all. I want to offer all to you, and I don't want it to be about me anymore. Um, I believe you died on the cross for all my sins. And the last three words you said, it's finished. And I'm so thankful that all my sins have been paid for and I can never earn salvation. And all you call me to do is believe in you and receive you into my life. And, and back then, I didn't say it like that. It was definitely, I said it less eloquently than that. But those were the, the heart words that were being shared. And, and I, think, I think that's the day you know, that I really believe that I accepted Christ. And that was, that was 1999. That was a year before the Olympics. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. I love how God pursues us, you know, with Pikes Peak and then a pretty girl. And it all led to you opening up your heart and saying, yes, I want you. So that was the year before the Olympics. And then what happened uh, leading up to the Olympics? So it's interesting, um, that whole born again thing, is that as I begin to study scripture after that, as I, as I, accepted Christ into my life and began to seek after him. I didn't really know what it was like to be an authentic, genuine Christian. So thankfully at the Olympic Training Center, we had you know, a guy that was meeting with us every Wednesday night, and he started discipling me and walking me through the scriptures and started talking to me what it was like to accept Christ and be born again. And, and it was so amazing to me that it was almost like kind of like your, your palate changes, kind of your taste buds change. You know, metaphorically, like I just... I didn't desire to listen to the same music that I used to listen to, you know, with curse, cuss words in it. When, when I'd hear people say things, it kind of like made me cringe a little bit. Um, the way I started viewing females, thankfully, totally changed. I mean, it's not like clearly I'm still a sinner and mess up all the time, but just the way I saw females was definitely different. And how I saw that God created them in his image, and that was his daughter, and that was somebody's wife, and somebody's daughter, and somebody's girlfriend, and started seeing women in a different way. And, you know, I made a commitment to purity back then. Um, in 1999, and, and I praise the Lord that I was able to keep that till my marriage, and um, I just started making a commitment to change my life, and, and so a lot of that had to do with the, my lifestyle, just kind of living clean, and what I mean by living clean was just, I wasn't, I wasn't designed to go out and like party anymore, and, and just the way I spoke and the way I acted, I was still a sinner, and I'm still a sinner today, saved by the blood of Christ, but my life began to change, I look back on that, and Jesus talked about once we genuinely believed in him we would be born again and so I began to experience that born again lifestyle and so what was really interesting about that is that my mom didn't really have much 
to do with my life when I was five. Um, all yeah, actually up until that that year. So she hadn't really been a part of my life for seventeen years. Um, and then I started realizing with if Christ could forgive me for those who've been forgiven much, we're called to forgive much. As a born again Christian at that period of time, I remember just reaching out to my mom and telling her um, what Christ had done in my life, and we started reconnecting. And I, for, you know, I told her I forgave her for everything that happened. And we have a, I called her on the way over here. We have a great relationship now, and so my my spiritual life changed, my family life changed, my friendships began to change. And you know, what's really interesting is that I wanted to be an Olympic champion, and my wrestling began to change. And I think my wrestling began to change because I wasn't so like addicted to myself and I wasn't worshiping winning and it wasn't all about the, you know, that being the national champion, being the Olympic champion, it's all about me and I have to win. There's so much pressure on me and I've got to and this is how people see me. And if I don't win, they're going to see me as a loser. If I do win, they'll think I'm awesome. I think there was just so much of that being addicted to myself and winning that I was caught up in in high school and college that I really just kind of punted all that. <laughs> and I just started saying, Lord, thank you so much for these gifts you've blessed me with. I'm living out here at the Olympic Training Center. I get a chance to do a sport that, that I love to do, that you've allowed me to do. And Lord, I just want to glorify you. And you know that term? We use that sometimes a lot, like to glorify God. In athletics, hey, I just want to glorify God. But what I really realized that that meant is, is to draw attention to him for me, to draw attention to him. And I said, Lord, use me here, you know, where I am, to draw attention to you to glorify you. And it's not about me. It's not about winning. It's not about the gold medal. It's, it's about drawing attention to you and using the gifts you blessed me to the best of my ability. And what's really fascinating is that when I began to do that, um, I actually started winning um, a lot of wrestling matches. Um, yeah, and so uh, use me, God. That was your prayer, and he did, and he, he has, and he is. Let's talk about the, the Olympic tournament. Uh, it's really a pretty fascinating story and I'll let you share it but one of the things that stands out to me is early on in that tournament you were you had to wrestle a Russian who was considered one of the greatest wrestlers really in the history of the sport and this guy was a three-time world champion and an Olympic champion he was undefeated he had never lost and you had to wrestle him early in that tournament so tell us tell us about your journey through the the Olympics, and then your match with the Russian in particular. Well, so just just for like maybe five minutes to kind of get to that point, I think it's important to note that as my, as my life began to change, I went into the national tournament. You can't you can't go to the Olympics unless you qualify for the Olympic, unless you win the Olympic trials. So I went to the nationals, and there were there were like whatever sixty or seventy guys in my bracket, and I was the seventh seed. So I went into that tournament. And a lot of my buddies came up to me, and they're like, like, dude, you're the seventh seed. What do you think about that? And in the past, I would have said, like, seventh seed, they don't know how awesome I am. I'm going to smash people and just take them out. I mean, I would have said something goofy like that. But I end up telling this one guy, he was like, well, you don't even act like you care about being the seventh seed. I'm like, I'm like, man, it doesn't really matter. I'm like, whether I'm the seventh seed or the 17th seed, I told him, I said, I have a new strategy. And they're like, oh, yeah, Slay, what's your strategy? I'm like, are you ready for it? And they're like, yeah, share it with me. And I said, my plan is I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to let God take care of the rest. Right? And uh, this one particular guy goes, 
that's your strategy? I'm like, that's it, man. And he goes, okay, I wish you well with that. And he walked off, right? And I end up, I wrestled the guy, the number two seed in the quarterfinals. I beat him, wrestled number three seed in the semifinals, had the number one seed in the finals, who I hadn't actually, I was 0-4 against. He beat me in the NCAA finals my senior year in college. And um, I remember walking out there on the mat, and I just walked up. I said, Lord, you know I want to be the national champion. You know that's on my heart. But I just pray your will be done. Whatever you want to happen here, I'm going to do my best. You take care of the rest. And um, I remember when I walked off that mat, I got ahead 5-0. I think I ended up winning 5-2. And, um, I mean, I just, you know, I thrust my arms in there. I was really excited. But I remember looking up, and I was going, like, man, God, you can wrestle. I'm like, this is, you're tough. And that's when I really began to realize that it really, it's not about me. It's not about what my um, strengths are, my wants or wishes so much if it doesn't align to God's perfect plan. And so won the Nationals, uh, end up making the Olympic team. I would just tell you with that same um, spiritual mentality, I'm going to do my best, let him take care of the rest. And then to kind of get to your point is, so then I got to the Olympic Games, and the draws came out, and the draws, it's all random. They don't seed at the Olympics. So there's this one guy named Buvasa Satya from Russia who was the defending Olympic champion in 1996. He hadn't lost since then. And so he was like the guy that I would say nobody wanted to draw. And if, if you did draw him, you want to be on the opposite side of the bracket, so maybe you'd have him in the finals. So I remember looking how the draws came out, and it kind of popped up, and the Bulgarian, he ends up being at the top of the bracket. And then I get the third, number three, and I'm like, okay, there's one and three. Somebody's going to be in between us. I wonder who that is. And we wait till the whole entire thing gets done, and the Russian hasn't popped in yet. And all of a sudden, poof, he pops in, he's the number two guy. So that means I'm right beside him. It goes Bulgaria, right, him, and then me. And so he beats the Bulgarian, I beat the Bulgarian, and then it kind of came down to this pool of three guys. There's three of us in a pool. And you could not advance unless you won your pool. So he beat the Bulgarian, I beat the Bulgarian. It was going to come down to whoever won between him and I. So if I beat him, I had a chance to medal. If I didn't beat him, I was out of the tournament. And same prayer, gang. I, I just... I walked out there, I said, Lord, I'd say most people on the planet think I'm going to lose this match right now. Um, but they're not you. And, you know, you'll find a way. And you can make a way where nobody else can make a way. But I said, Lord, you know, again, yeah, I want to win this match. But I want this to be your way, your plan. I'm going to do my best. You take care of the rest. And, um, I end up going ahead 3-0. He comes back, ties it. 3-3, three three, we go into overtime, which some of us call sudden victory. Some people call it sudden death. I call it sudden victory, just mental thing. And fortunately, I got a double egg in overtime, and I took him down and um, beat him. The thing I noticed about, yeah, yeah. It truly was like a David and Goliath. I mean, this guy was just a, a monster. But the thing that really caught my attention when I went back to watch the match is uh, right off the bat, you attacked him. I mean, you, you weren't kind of backing away. Well, let's just see what happened. It was ba you basically punched him right in the nose and went, you went at him right away. So talk about what, what is that about you that you, you don't kind of retreat in fear. You just full well, throttle forward. Well, I mean, I appreciate you saying that, but I don't really, I would say it's not about me. I think it's with this 
spiritual strength and which connects to mentality and then your physical ability. When you kind of put those three things together, I, I, with the Spirit of God in me and all the things He'd been teaching me, I would just say I wasn't scared. I, I wasn't wrestling in fear. I wasn't wrestling like, oh my gosh, I want to win so bad and I don't want to lose, so now I'm, I, I'm coming fearful and I don't want to take any shots. And I don't want to act. Because what ends up happening, now this is a wrestling match, gang, but here's, here's the lesson from this. If you hold back and you don't act and you don't do anything because you don't want to make mistakes and you don't want to lose, what ends up happening and becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy is you lose anyway. <laughs> You end, up, you end up missing the mark anyway. You end up not reaching your full potential anyway because what ends up happening is you lack faith. So you're not really giving it to God. You're not trusting him. You're going to try to handle it on your own, which means you're going to kind of like act fearfully and just hope something good happens. And there's no way I was going to beat the Russian if I just hoped something good was going to happen. Like I knew I was going to have to, to use your metaphor, I was going to have to go up there and punch him in the face right off the bat, which for me ended up being a double leg. I was going to have to go double leg him right off the bat and get a takedown and score points. And I think when I hit him, I took him down, I turned him. He's down 3-0. He was just like, what, what? oh, my gosh, this guy came here to wrestle. And uh, I was like, yeah, I did. It came from Emerald, Texas, Colorado Springs. We're in Sydney. I'm here to wrestle, right? We're here to do this. And I think it. you say, like, what was this about you? And I would say it was the... The, the spiritual truth philosophy that God had given me about doing your best and not can't take, doing my best and taking care of the rest and not wrestling with fear. Yes, yes. Yeah, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I think that's a, that's a powerful picture for us as men. And I, I just interject real quickly. Uh, is there something that uh, is, is kind of staring you down and you're the underdog? And God is saying, uh, by my spirit, I want you to attack. No fear, attack by the spirit of God. And so just uh, process that. But one thing that guys might not realize uh, about this particular tournament is you made it to the finals and you actually lost. So talk about that. Right, so I beat the Bulgarian, I beat the Russian, and then I beat the guy from Kazakhstan. Then I beat the guy from Turkey in the semifinals. And then I was in the finals against a guy from Germany. And I would say... The guy from Germany was probably the one guy in the bracket that I really thought I really believed I could win. And maybe the rest of the story, you may learn something from that. Maybe I started seeping into my own strength a little bit on that, thinking like, well, I mean, if I beat the Russian, I know I could beat this dude, right? I think maybe too much of myself started coming into play. And, you know, that particular match, there's a lot of detail with the rules I don't need to go into, but um, I got hit with a caution. He got two points. I had to go down. I was fighting his hands. They slapped my hand. Um, they hit me with another caution. They gave him another point. So he's up 3-0. I was down 3-0 with about a minute left in the match, which is kind of like being down by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter of a football game. Like, you need to start throwing some Hail Marys. So I started taking some risks, and um, he countered me, and he ended up beating me 4-0. So, you know, that night... I ended up getting the silver medal in the Olympics. I had to get up there and, and accept the silver medal. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't smiling and I wasn't all pumped and excited with my silver. And a lot of people sometimes don't realize that. I had a few people in Rio say the same thing. Is that everybody up on the award stand, the guy with the gold is all excited. The people that get the bronze are all excited, especially in combat sports, individual sports. But what they don't realize is the person with the gold just won. The person who got the bronze just won. They beat the person, right, for third. The only person up there 
that just lost 15 minutes earlier was the person who got the silver. And so you're asking them to process that within 15 minutes and put a smile on their face and act like everything's awesome, right? So it was hard to do that night, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a tough period of time. Um, but then I walked out of the arena, and I walked out of the arena. There's about 20 or 30 of my family and friends all standing out there just like to give me just huge hugs and tell me how much they love me. And it was at that moment I started to realize that, you know, there's, there's more to life than gold medals. And I remember that night, I mean, I have some good friends here tonight that were there. And I remember that night they asked me to talk and I had the silver medal around my neck. And, and it was all God sharing truth with me. But I remember getting up and talking. One of the last things I told them, I said, with my silver medal around my neck, I just said, hey, one thing, one thing I've learned is there's more to life than gold medals, that it's not all about all about the gold in life, that it's about your faith. And as I walked out of the arena that night, it was about my family. It was about my friendships. And it was about trying to be the best man of integrity that I could be. Again, none of us are perfect, but to seeking to be a man of integrity, I realized that my faith, my family, my friends, and integrity. And then I would also say your effort, your effort, that, that if you give full effort, you can look yourself in the mirror and know that I gave everything I had, I gave full effort. Like there's value to that. And... I realized that that was more important really than the gold medal. So I told them there's more to life than gold medals. So I got back to Amarillo, Texas. You know, they had this, they had a parade for me and for the silver medal. And, you know, I'm metaphorically kissing babies, getting everybody a high five, doing all that stuff. And I started going to speak to schools. I started going to speak to kids. And the end of the message, I'd always tell these kids, there's more to life than gold medals. And I spoke to three or four schools, and this one particular reporter, he came to all, all those speeches I gave to kids, and he came up to, up to me one time, and I think I told you the story on the phone, is I just, he ended up saying, okay, Brandon, um, you've been telling these kids there's more to life than gold medals. I've heard you now during four, four school talks. But do you find that kind of like tough to tell them since you don't have a gold medal? <laughs> um... I said, whatever, I said, Larry, whatever his name was, you're right, I don't. Yeah, I don't have an Olympic gold medal. I said, but I know what it's like to win tournaments and first place trophies and national titles. I've done all that, but you're right. I don't have an Olympic gold medal. But I said, you know what, it doesn't change the message. And he goes, okay, see you later. And it was just churning inside of me a little bit. But I knew the temptation wasn't to argue with him, but to stick with the truth. And so it was interesting. You asked kind of, well, the next step, what happened? So about two weeks later, we come to find out that one of the Olympic gold medalists in Sydney, Australia, in freestyle wrestling had tested positive for nandrolone for steroids. And he was allegedly, whatever, 20 times over the limit. So I'm thinking, wow, that's not the German. You know, he's, he's a veteran. He's been to, I think that was his fourth Olympics. He wouldn't do that. So I didn't even let myself go there. I was like, yeah, it's not him. So I didn't even think about it. But then I get this call one morning, like, <clears throat> I think it was like 5.30 in the morning, came over from Switzerland, and they call me and they say, hey, Brandon, we'll let you know, Alexander Leopold from Germany, he was the one that tested positive for steroids, and you're the new 2000 Olympic champion. And again, it's 5.30 in the morning, right? Thank you. So I'm going to be honest, though, in my flesh, I go, uh... So is there any way I can wrestle this guy again? And I, I keep kind of almost like arguing with this guy. It's like, well, and after a few minutes, he's like, um, Mr. Slay, would you like the gold medal or not? And I go, I'll take it. 
so thankfully, USA Wrestling, our national governing body, worked hard. They had a new gold medal ceremony on the Today Show, um, you know, with Katie Kirk and Matt Lauer, and they, we did it all there. And they brought the guy from Turkey over to, actually, he was probably the most excited. He went from fourth to third. He had a smile on his face the whole time, you know. He was just like, couldn't speak a lick of English, but he was smiling the whole time. And then the Korean went from third to second. You know, I got the gold medal. And even on the Today Show that morning, they'd asked me, hey, you know, what, what's one of the biggest lessons you've learned from this? And I told them that. They said, Brandon, you went from silver to gold. What's one of the greatest lessons? I ended up telling them there's, you know, there's more to life than gold medals. And um, I went back and started speaking to schools in Amarillo and with my gold medal. And it was really interesting about three or four schools in, I walked out of one of the schools and that reporter was there. <laughs> and he walked up to me and he said, <clears throat> um, so I got to ask you, <laughs> now that you have, you have a gold medal, what's the message? I said, I told you, you know, I told you whatever, a week ago, a couple weeks ago. I said, there's, there's more to life than gold medals. It's not all about the gold medal and the silver medal and the gold, you know, it's not all about winning. You know, I think we grew up a lot of times in sports thing that, you know, winning is everything. And I would just disagree with that big time because I don't think that's really the best way to raise our kids. Winning isn't everything. The gold medal isn't everything. The first place, the blue ribbon, isn't everything. Because if it is, you're actually putting that above God. So if winning is everything, it's become a little idol. If the gold medal is everything, it's become an idol. And God made it really clear that, that we should have no other gods um, before him. Yeah, wrestling is such uh, an interest, interesting sport. And I realize there are men here who who you may not be real familiar with wrestling, but I got to tell you guys, wrestling is a biblical sport, right? Genesis 32, you said, he said, God, you know how to wrestle. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, he showed up to Jacob in Genesis 32. Whooped him. And, yeah. I mean, that story would have been a lot less interesting if God would have showed up to Jacob with like a soccer ball, right? It's like, okay, come on, power kick. Let's see what you got, Jacob. But God was like, let's grapple. Come on. And, uh, so when you look at the sport of wrestling and then you apply it to your spiritual journey, what has wrestling taught you about your walk with God? Well, I think you're right on. I think, you know, the word wrestle is to, is to struggle against an opposing force. So it's not just high school and college wrestling, Olympic level wrestling, right? Wrestling is to struggle against an opposing force. And I think that's why, you know, God used that analogy. I think that's why he told us in Ephesians 6 that we were going to, you know, we're, we're not just wrestling you know, against, we're wrestling against basically Satan, right? We're wrestling against evil. And the more I've thought about that and, and began to really kind of dig into the word, it's been fascinating to me because I think about our sport of wrestling and I have an opponent. Let's say I have the Russian, for example. If, to increase my chance of beating my opponent, any opponent, I have to understand my opponent. I have to understand what their... Um, what their main strength is, what their tactics are, how, what their actions are going to be to beating me, what their strategy, their game plan is to beating me. So I have to understand what they're good at, what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are. And the more I study my opponent, the better chance I have to beat them in Olympic level wrestling. So I think about that and I think, okay, I think there's some truth to that in our spiritual walk. And so then as I, as I kind of take that illustration out, I say, okay, so if I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood, Again, Ephesians 6, if I'm wrestling against evil, let's say if I'm wrestling against Satan in the evil realm, like what's his main attack? Like what's he hit me with? 
And so when you dig into God's word, if you look in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And he ends up defining the world as the, world as the cravings of the sinful nature, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what a man has and does. And if you break that down, I don't think it's a stretch to say the cravings of the sinful nature you could call pleasure. People struggle with alcohol, with drugs, with gluttony, with pornography, those things that make them feel good, right? The escape. So people struggle with the cravings of sinful nature, pleasure, the lust of the eyes. If I see something, I want it. I want to possess it. I want to have it. And I think you could call that possessions. So you look at that, the world is pleasure, the world is possessions. And the last one is boasting of what a man has and does. And I think it's not a stretch, you know, to call that um, power, So I think what John was saying there, he was saying that don't love the world or anything in the world. You say, what's the world? The world is struggle with pleasure, possessions, and power. And now as a 40-year-old man, I would say I agree with that 100%. If you really like do some introspection and think about like where you struggle and what's caused you to stumble and miss the mark in the past, if everybody's honest, I would say it probably has to do with one of those three things. And then as I study that, I think, okay, so that's, that's the world. That's, that's the evil that's coming at me. Then I read in Matthew 4, when Jesus, right, was in the wilderness, he had to eat for 40 days. I'm sure he drank water, but he hadn't eaten in 40 days. So what's the very first thing Satan did as he's coming at him? His opponent, right? What move is he going to use? He comes at Jesus. He's like, okay, you haven't eaten in 40 days. Aren't you, can't you turn that rock into bread? Pleasure. Right? He comes to him and he says, hey, aren't you, you know, if you bow down to me, I'll let, I'll let you have all of this. I'll let you possess all of this. And then he ends up challenging him with the power, with the power part, right? He's like, if you're the son of God, couldn't you just, couldn't you throw yourself down and have legions of angels come and save you? So if you study that section of scripture, Satan comes at the savior of the world with pleasure, possessions, and power. And that's what John defined, right, was the world. And that's what Satan did. And Jesus, clearly, the way he defended those, he, he actually quoted Deuteronomy to all three of them, right, which most of us probably couldn't do very well. But he quoted God's word, the sword of the Spirit, right, in the full armor of God, the sword of the Spirit. That's our offensive weapon to swing back against the evil one is God's word. And so Jesus quoted Scripture right back to Satan as he was tempted in those three areas. And then the last thing would just cause me, like, to go like, wow, as I went back and you're studying Genesis when Satan slid it in to tempt Eve. And he ends up tempting Eve, telling her that that fruit will be good to the taste. It's going to taste good, Eve, pleasure, right? That you're, you're going to be able to possess that and you're going to know and be like God, power. So at the very beginning, what Eve fell for I don't think it's a stretch to say that Satan tempted Eve before there was any sin in the garden with pleasure, power, and possessions. He tempted Jesus with pleasure, power, and possessions. John said, don't love the world or anything in the world. What's the world? Pleasure, power, and possessions. And so if you ask me that question, what wrestling has taught me, it's taught me that, that my main opponent that I got to fight, wrestle with every single day, he's coming at me. Those are his three best moves. <laughs> Brandon, I'm going to try to get you with pleasure. I'm going to try to get you with possessions. I'm going to try to get you with power. So... Um, I know that that's what he's coming at, with, coming at me with every day. So, you know, you may say, well, so what do you do? And I would say, what you do, Ephesians 6 went on to say, you've got to put on your full armor. You know, you've got to have shield of faith. 
The first thing that's going to hit them, you've got to have a helmet of salvation knowing that, that you're saved, that regardless of what happens, that you're saved and your salvation is secure. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, you've believed it, you've received it into your life, you've got to remember helmet of salvation. You've got to always remember you're saved. Right? You've got to have a breastplate of righteousness on, seeking to be obedient. Righteousness, rightness, right? You've got to seek to be obedient every single day. And nobody's perfect, but I would say struggle well in that. You've got to strap on the belt of truth that holds everything together. You know, that analogy Paul uses like a, you know, Roman soldier and that belt held everything together. The truth holds all that together. What's the truth? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Right? And you have to have your feet shotted with the readiness to share the gospel whenever God opens up the opportunity. And the last thing he said, which I mentioned already, you got to be able to swing the sword of the Spirit around, which is the Word of God. And that's my opponent every day, and I know that um, when I'm able to um, get him away from me, so to speak, and, and feel strong in God's strength is when I put on that full armor and I'm secure in God's word. But the times when I fall and the times when I miss the mark are the times when I forget that and I'm weak and, um, and I get back to my own flesh and my own, and my own strength. Yeah, another thing about Ephesians 6 is right before Paul goes and explains the armor, he says, be strong in the Lord's power. It's a good reminder to say we can't win this wrestling match against evil in our own power. Uh, the scriptures are so clear. Be strong in the Lord's power because it's the Lord who gives uh, victory. And I know another thing you're really passionate about in terms of uh, how wrestling relates with your spiritual journey is uh, to be an Olympic gold medalist, that requires, you got to be all in on that. And uh, I know you've come to discover in your walk with Christ, it requires you got to be all in there, too. Yeah, and I think, you know, the words that kind of come to me a lot about whether you want to be, what, if you want to be successful in business or a, a doctor, a lawyer, an Olympic champion, or whatever you want to become, whatever your goal or dream is. And when, when I talk to kids all the time, I don't talk to them just about sport. Like, whatever your goal or dream is, dream is something you want to accomplish. You know, I tell them a lot, it's going to take, you're going to have to make a decision that that's what your goal or dream is. You're going to have to write it down put it on a piece of paper, put it in your room, put it on the board, put it in your phone. You're going to have to make that decision that that's what you're going to do. And you're going to have to be disciplined as you pursue that decision, that goal. And then you're going to have to be devoted to live what you said. So as an, as a, as an athlete, that's what it takes to be an Olympic champion, right? You have to make a decision. I want to be the Olympic champion. I'm going to have to be disciplined all the way up to that. And I have to be devoted to live what I say and not just train hard Monday through Thursday or Friday, take off the weekend, do whatever I want. I have to be devoted to live what I say the whole period of time. So as an athlete, I think those are important attributes. Um, as a businessman, those would be important attributes. As a, as a lawyer, doctor, whatever you want to accomplish. But I would say, again, studying scripture, if you study Romans 12.1, the apostle Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual act of worship. Now, when I was growing up, I heard that verse, and I was like, I, 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 I was like what was that, right? But as you unpack that and really look at it, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, a view of God's mercy. So the motive is because God's so merciful, because his grace is so amazing, you should think about doing what I'm about to tell you to do. He says, you should offer your bodies. And I think if you really take that, He's encouraged us that we have to make a decision that we're going to offer our lives, our bodies, our everything. 
We have to offer our bodies to Christ. Metaphorically speaking, we're going to have to lay it down. We're going to have to die to ourselves. Think about baptism. We're going to have to die to ourselves. We have to offer our bodies. We're going to have to die to ourselves so He can make us a new creation in Christ. And He said, You have to make that decision. But then He goes on to say, Offer your body, He says, as a living sacrifice. Now, sacrifices, that means you have to give something up. Like in wrestling, you've got you to run sprints. You've got to sacrifice your diet. You've got to work out, you know, 10 times a week. You've got to spend hours watching video of your opponent. You have to make sacrifices. I mean, as a coach now, I'm, I'm away from my family for 33 days to coach our guys to win gold medals. I have to make sacrifices. My family has to make sacrifices, right? And so those are disciplines. So I think the living sacrifices, I, I would consider those to be Bible study, Prayer, worship, fellowship, spending time with other brothers in Christ. And if you're really honest with yourself, to spend time with brothers in Christ, it takes sacrifice. To meet up with guys a certain period of time, to have a Bible study, to meet them for coffee, right? To go have dinner with them. we got to say no to some things, to be able to spend time with those guys. To sit aside time to read your Bible early in the morning, during the middle of the day, at nighttime, you have to make time to do that. To sit aside time for prayer, you have to make sacrifices. To worship, you have to make sacrifices. So I would say the discipline in our spiritual life, the living sacrifices would be Bible study, prayer, worship, and fellowship. And I think the last that says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, decision, right, discipline. And the last part is it says, holy and pleasing to God. That that's your spiritual act of worship. And holy and pleasing to God, I would say, it's devotion. That you live what you say. Again, nobody's perfect. But holy means holy, right, righteous, pure, to live what you say. So if you're going to make this decision to follow Christ, be disciplined, Bible study, prayer, worship, and fellowship, and be devoted to struggle well and live what you say, um, I think if the Apostle Paul heard that, I think, I say humbly, but I think he would probably amen that. I think that's probably what he was talking about when he was encouraging um, us as men, us as humans, to make a total commitment to Christ and to go all in for the Savior, I think he would say, uh, yeah. It takes a decision, discipline, devotion. Yeah. yeah, and one of the reasons we need that is because of what we're talking about. Because the spiritual fight, the wrestling match is so real, we, we need uh, to discipline ourselves in those things. And you were talking about sacrificing. One of the things you said, Brandon, is your family has sacrificed. And this is really the last thing I want to ask you about is, uh, you have a big move coming up, and uh, in fact, it's you sacrificing for your family because you realize that, that they're important and you want to be around them more. Why don't you talk about that part of your life? So, so I'm, I'm a wrestling coach, but I have three girls. So everybody says, what do you do for a living? I say, I coach guys and raise girls. That's what I do. So um, I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And, you know, I say this. So I'm about to say, I say in all due respect for the organization I've worked for, USA Wrestling, in the past. But like this last year, I traveled about 120 days. And so I realized for me, personally for me, um, to be the best husband and to be the best father that I could be, um, I, I just felt like I needed to make a decision to find something where I could travel a little less. Because if I'm going to stand up in front of people and tell people that, you know, that my family's my ministry, if I'm going to say that, then I want to be able to live what I say. And I want to be able to say that, yeah, I travel some. Yeah, I'm out of town some. But I, really, I, I want to make sure I'm pouring into my wife and pouring into my girls. And um, so I, I decided to take a job at the Pennsylvania Regional Training Center. I went to school at the University of Pennsylvania. So I'm going to go back to Philadelphia and help coach 
uh, senior level athletes there for the Olympics. So I actually have already moved my wife and three girls up there. We're living in an apartment. Um, we just put an offer on a home. Um, they accepted the offer. So uh, I feel like God's, he's continuing to bless that. Yeah. And you're going to be home for the first time in 33 days next week? So I left on August the 2nd, and I'm about to go to France. On Monday, I get home September the 5th. So, uh, yeah, it's, so not only do I have to make sacrifices, you know, my wife has to make sacrifices. And I think, you know, one thing I would say just as, as fathers is something that God put on my heart is I think every father who has a job that works hard, uh, it's hard to be perfect and make everything for your kids. It's, it's hard to, to beat every single thing. So what happens, I think you, you may miss some things, but what I decide is I don't want to miss most things, right? That was what God put on my heart. Brandon, I understand if you miss some because I've called you to be the leader of this family, the breadwinner, take care of, you know, your wife and three girls. You're going to miss some, but I'm encouraging not to miss most. And I would just share that with you guys um, to think about that as you seek to lead your families. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to make everything, but uh, are you able, are you, have you put yourself in a situation to be the leaders of your family, for that to be your ministry, your number one ministry, and, and are you able to make, you know, most things? And I'm not saying that to make you feel bad at all, because I've had to wrestle with this, you know, myself, but I share that with you just to cause you to chew on that and kind of think on that a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of meat to what you're saying, and just want to wrap up here in prayer, and I'd ask you, Brandon, uh, to pray over the men tonight. And maybe you're here tonight, men, and you hear Brandon talk about the total commitment. And perhaps if you search your own heart, maybe some of you would say, I think I, think, uh, I might be on the fence. Or some of you might be thinking, yeah, I, I, you don't have to convince me I'm in a f- spiritual fight because I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm getting whooped right now. And so, men, I just want to encourage you to close your eyes, and we're going to have a time here where just allow God to search your heart here. And I think, I think one of the things he really wants to say to you tonight is he's near. That you don't have to figure this out alone. That he's not expecting you to, to be victorious apart from his spirit and his power. So just with your your eyes closed and your head bowed, I'm just going to ask Brandon just to pray over you man to man tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this evening, for your sovereignty, for just for ordaining this and bringing every man into this theater, to this church tonight. Thank you for um, just putting the idea on the men of this church to do something like this for all the organization that took place to make it happen. And Lord, I I pray a hedge of protection over every single man in here that as we talked about tonight, that the evil one is coming to tempt them with pleasure and power and possessions. He's going to come at them every single day for the rest of their lives until you take them home. And I just pray a hedge of protection over them and, and, and a strong realization that the way that they defend against the evil one, but also attack him back, like we talked about tonight, is they have to put on that full armor and they have to, they have to begin to learn your word so they can quote that in those times of temptation, Lord. Just put it on their heart to open up the Bible and read that Ephesians 6. And even Ephesians 5 to learn how to, to be the leaders of their family as we spoke of tonight. 
But Lord, we also talked about that Romans 12, 1, where that's the application of making a total commitment to Jesus Christ. And in that, Lord, you talked about offering our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that that is your spiritual act of worship. And Lord, I just, if there's, if there's a man in here tonight that hasn't made that eternal, life-changing, born-again decision to offer his life fully to you, Lord, begin to move on his heart. And as I pray this prayer in a few moments, Lord, just move on his heart to, to pray that prayer and to choose him as one of your children to be born again. If that's you out there, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray this prayer. I would just encourage you to just to pray this prayer inside or even out loud, repeat after me. But Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave. And I believe that by offering my life totally to you and receiving you into my life, that you promise me eternal life. Please save me. Please allow me to give myself fully and totally, completely up to you. And allow me to spend eternity with you and all the other believers in Christ. Lord, I pray if there are men out there that have prayed that prayer, that believe in you and received you into their life, that, that you begin surrounding them with men that will disciple them, that will pour into them so they, they won't be alone, that they'll realize um, what it takes to dig into your word and to begin what it looks like to pray and what it looks like to have fellowship with other Christian men and, and to walk in worship, not just in song, but in gratitude for everything you've done in their life. And Lord, in closing tonight, I do want to just say thank you so much for creating us in your image, for dying for us on the cross in Calvary, for paying that price for all of our sin that we could never pay because you loved us so much, that your th last three words on the cross were, it is finished, which means you paid the total price for all the sin, that the wage of sin is death, you died so we wouldn't have to die. Lord, I thank you that by believing in you, and receiving that to our life that you promise us forever with you. And I thank you so much for that. Thank you for all these men. I just pray that you allow them to lead their families well and allow them to get home safely tonight. I ask this all tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Everybody says amen. Hey, can we thank Brandon Slay for being with us tonight? <laughs> Appreciate you. And I want to invite our fire team leaders to come down and just be available in the front here. So all the fire team leaders come down. One of the things Brandon was just praying is that men would be placed in community. And I'm not sure if you've heard about fire teams or not, but that's what this is. It's community. It's the reality that as men, hey, we, we cannot afford to try to do life alone. We are stronger together, but that, that requires intentionality. And so this fall, we have fire team groups, and a fire team is four to seven guys who are intentionally pursuing God together as community. 
sharpening one another, encouraging one another, spurring each other on. And so we've got 30 or 35 different groups meeting throughout the city. A lot of these guys are right here tonight. They want to pray for you, number one. And number two, if you have any questions at all about fire teams, uh, they'd love to talk to you and tell you about their group. And so that's how we're going to close it out tonight is just give you a chance to receive prayer. Um, if, If something was said tonight, again, that stirred in your heart, you want a man to stand with you. And pray with you. Please don't leave before coming forward uh, for prayer. And then also, again, engage. Join us. Be a part of what God is doing this semester with our fire teams and New Life Men. And then the very last thing is uh, we'd love for you to come to the Mountain Advance September 9th to the 11th at Bear Trap Ranch. It's going to be an incredible weekend, and you can sign up right out those doors. And so, God, thank you for your presence. You are with us. You are among us. And as we leave, you are still going to be with us, and you are still going to be among us. And so we love you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. And all the men said, amen. Amen. Hey, great to see you guys tonight.